Alright everybody, today in the show we have Luke Skypowder. Luke is the owner of the International Freeski Film Festival, or as everybody knows it, IF3. In this episode we talk about Luke's journey to IF3, some behind the scenes of the festival, and his advice for people just starting their careers. Luke's coming to us from rural Quebec, so we had a few internet issues, but they don't last for more than a couple seconds at a time. So stick with us, because they do pass. Had a great time talking to Luke, so sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy it. It's getting to the point. Hello, thanks for uh, coming on today. Hi, nice to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you too. So let's get right into it. Who are you and what do you do for work? Yeah, so uh, my nickname is Luke Skypowder, and uh, that's my industry name, and everybody knows me by that, so it's the easiest name to pronounce. Um, so I'm Luke Skypowder. I'm the president and owner of IF3 Festival, which started in 2007 in uh, Montreal, Canada. Today, we're going to get your journey and then kind of behind-the-scenes look at IF3. So let's start out with who Luke Skypower is. So where do you grow up? What, what's your story? Um, I'm a, all over the map, so that's going to be interesting for for you and and the listeners. But uh, started off, I was uh, when I was very small. Uh, I lived in Gatineau, which is near Ottawa in Ontario, Canada, okay. and I lived there for 13 years. Uh, at that point, I hadn't touched skis. I started off as a hockey player, um, like m- many of the Canadian kids, uh, first four years old on skates, and that's what I did for most of my young life. Um, fortunately enough, my father moved to Alberta uh, in Canada, Calgary, and uh, at that point um, started high school and uh, discovered skiing at the age of 15. Um, was going very little at the time because uh, of the family and the affordable of the skiing. I mean, it's tough for everybody to get equipment and to drive, drive to the mountains and so on. So I would go on school trips. I would, uh, I would discover it slowly. Um, and then when I was on my own and I started off on my own around 19 years old. At that point, I started to ski a little more often and go and discover uh, the mountains out west. Uh, started off with uh, the Alberta mountains and get into BC mountains uh, over time. And really started to ski quite a bit uh, when I when I was in my mid-20s, uh, early 30s, because uh, I let go of hockey uh, when I was 30 years old and stuck to uh, skiing and weekends, my weekend trips, my buddy's trips. We started to go much more. Um, but it's always been for fun. It's never been a competition. It's never been... Um, where I was going out to uh, to do some crazy stuff like what I see now, <laughs> uh, but it was uh, a real fun time, and I really enjoy winter and the snow. So that's uh, it grew on me, and I would say now uh, in the past uh, ten years, that's all I do in my winter. I I go skiing as much as I can. I do some backcountry skiing. I started telemark skiing when my kids started to learn a little more. Gave me another challenge. Um, so. Um, that's that's the pattern towards the skiing. Uh, in meantime, uh, professionally, uh, I did a whole whack of different things. Um, as I would probably uh, start by saying, it, my life has always been a white page. I don't know what I'll do next year, <laughs> and uh, I really don't. I really don't see that far. So when I was 19, 20 years old, I came out of high school, finished my high school. And uh, I went into manufacturing and I actually started to uh, uh, learn the, the basics of uh, making 
phones, making uh, actual regular phones, landline phones at the time, and uh, made my way up the tiers of the company. And uh, as, out of, as I went through that, uh, I actually learned quite a bit. And uh, in the end, uh, I was able to obtain what I would say it's the equivalent to a business degree um, through my experience, my work experience over the years. Um, after which, uh, around the early 30s, um, I decided I would start my own business and uh, started my own lodging and uh, moved back to Eastern Canada. And uh, I've been now in the Eastern Townships, just above JP Vermont for well, since the early 2000s. And uh, since then, I haven't actually moved my home, but I've been moving from places to places around here. There's a ton of mountains here, so lots to explore, both on the U.S. side and on on the Canadian side. And of course, I would do some trips out west and go and explore uh, the Western Mountains in both the U.S. and Canada uh, from the 2000s onwards. So uh, basically, uh, I moved here. Um, it was the intention was to work in the tourist industry uh, with my own lodging. And with my own lodging, I explored all the mountains uh, to show the guests where to go, where to ski in the townships, but as well in the southern U.S., the eastern U.S. as well, Vermont, Maine, New Hampshire. And I explored quite a few of the mountains that were great funds um, just doing that over the course of the past few years, probably um, in North America, over 50 resorts actually that I was able to, to go travel to and enjoy. So it was a real fun time um, up to this point to, to ski all this, uh, these areas. And through that process, uh, I came to really like uh, uh, the through townships where I live, and I worked at a ski resort for seven years as a marketing and uh, sales marketing director. And uh, during that time frame, I learned quite a bit about the industry. And uh, during that time frame, I also discovered IF3, which uh, had begun in 2007 in Montreal with a great uh, bunch of passionate uh, skiers and photographers and people that made videos and so on. They had a a great, great uh, setup in Montreal. And so um, I discovered it in 2012 uh, as a mountain resort. I was sponsoring the event and it was going year after year. And uh, it came to a point where uh, Felix Ryu, the owner of IF3, um, wanted to, he had young young kids and he wanted to uh, start getting a little more attention to, to his family and kind of take a break. And I didn't want this uh, awesome uh, festival to uh, go extinct. So we, we talked to each other and I proposed to, to take over and in 2017 uh, took over from Felix and the team and uh, many of the members stayed onwards uh, to help out. And so since 2017, it's been, uh, I would say 90% of my time is spent uh, putting together the uh, yearly event uh, with a bunch of uh, volunteers and people that are around me that uh, surround this event. Uh, uh, and since 2017, as you may or may not know, we, we've introduced snowboarding as well. So now it's a uh, skiing and snowboarding event. Great. And so uh, with your ski experience, because IF3 is mainly freestyle for anybody that's not familiar, um, were you in the park? Were you in the moguls? Were you all mountain? What was your kind of experience in the ski world um, for what you like to ride? So my, my personal preference is uh, everything that's powder, a big mountain. So uh, um, the adventure type uh, movies that come out uh, every year uh, that show, you know, the big lines and uh, the people going up uh, skinning and finding those great spots all over the world. Those are my favorite. And of course, the tricks that they can pull off in the backcountry is just 
amazing. I'm I'm not of that level. I was unfortunately too late to to learn, but I can certainly appreciate you know that. And from my perspective, seeing some of the skiers and snowboarders going from the park and then into the wild and going into the backcountry and doing similar things. That is uh, quite the evolution for me. And I, when I see that, when I see an accomplished skier do uh, able to do the, both is uh, it's, um, it's amazing to watch. Mm. I, I would venture to say that you're a little bit older than me. So <laughs> what did you, uh, what did you think um, when, when park skiing was first coming on the scene? I'm not sure if you were already working at a mountain at the time, or you were, you were operating your, um, your lodging. So when did that kind of uh, cross come onto your radar? And when did you get it, start getting excited about that? I've seen, you know, I've seen the introduction of snowboarding. I've seen the introduction of freestyle, like you said. Um, as you can imagine, it was very, very popular here in Quebec. I mean, the IF3 began in 2007, but it was well before that that it uh, started. And uh, it really hit the, the popularity uh, front right in the mid-2000s here in Quebec and in, in Canada. Um, and uh, during that time, there was some really, really awesome skiers that were traveling the worlds uh, that were part of IF3. And that's how I came to know about it. Um, some of the mountains were starting to put parks together. Um, the owners were a little bit scared uh, because of incident accidents and things like that. So there was all sorts of safety protocols to be followed and so on to put a park together. Um, and then from those years onwards, it, you can see now that the evolution of the mountains, most mountains now have a park or multiple parks, even uh, free ride uh, trails dedicated to free ride or free skiing. Um, and for my part, uh, the owner did not want to do a park or build a park. Uh, so what we would do is we would um, develop a whole bunch of glade skiing. And in the glades, we would uh, put features out there so that uh, kids could hit them and, uh, you know, have a fun time. And then of course, uh, we would put smaller type of modules out there so they could practice the various things. But had it been my mountain, of course, uh, a park would have definitely been a priority. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and what mountain was this? Uh, it was at Al Zed Resort. It's near the border. Um, it's in the Eastern Township. Wow. Cool. So moving on to IF3, um, as the president, how would you kind of um, describe it in your own words? What is it for somebody that's not familiar with the festival? It's a very, uh, very good question. Um, and it's been our, our uh, I guess, our biggest uh, challenge at this point, because the passionate skiers, the passionate uh, uh, snowboarders understand it. Uh, they understand the work that goes into making these films, uh, the, the various uh, challenges that we can we can go through a season to come up with these edits and uh, and uh, of course celebrating that is very very important. Um, so it starts at the core with um, celebrating and uh, putting forward and I guess uh, and really looking at the best ski, the best snowboard uh, films of that have come up the year before during the year that you're you're going through and and putting those, uh, those type of, uh, reporting the best, uh, skier, the best snowboarder and the best, uh, film editors and the filmmakers of the world, because it's international is the first and foremost reason why this IF3 exists. And that our notoriety is built around the IF3 movie awards. And the fact that we're able to judge all the various, uh, films that come out 
for those same uh, categories, sports in uh, snowboard, ski, pro, amateur, and open. And this open uh, categories oh, it started about three years ago when we started to realize that skiers and snowboarders are starting to make movies together as well, um, showing you know great, uh, um, I guess, uh, understanding of each other and even respect. So this, uh, when we saw the trend going, we've opened it up so that uh, people could film and make edits together. And it's really showing, and um, now in the future, we're seeing a lot more projects coming through that way. To answer your original question, uh, I have three for the general public. What is that? It's a place where you can find the best movies and the best uh, ski and snowboard movies of the year prior. And uh, you can see uh, those online uh, from, your, from your home at this point. Uh, a few months after the festival, most of them will come to be available for you to watch. So if you're listening now, you've never never heard of IF3, um, what I encourage people to do is to go to the website and go to the movie guide. And there's a whole bunch of links there. You can go and watch uh, snowboard, ski, uh, even open movies and get a feel for what these people have accomplished over the past uh, few months. So in a normal year, COVID aside, when somebody attends the festival, what what is sort of like the the fan experience when they're when they're uh, you know in Montreal or Quebec City? What are they kind of experiencing when they're there? It's the Hollywood of skiing. Um, I mean, it's uh, you'll you'll see all sorts of athletes from around the world, uh, producers and uh, video uh, uh, video makers of professional and amateur uh, that gather together in one spot to celebrate the culture, celebrate their um, accomplishments and uh, they do this with the general skier the general public so you're mixed in with all the best <laughs> and there is no filter um, we we sit for four days and watch uh, movies in the theater or in the cinemas and then of course uh, there's always gathering in parties and uh, getting together with uh, great music and uh, celebration of, of the IF3 Movie Awards as well. There's a big gala that takes part of the four days and that's presented live with the athletes and producers being there present to receive their prizes. So this was pre-COVID. It happened uh, every year since 2007 and it went all the way through um, 2019. So that was that was the way IF3 was. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll get more to how you guys overcame the challenges of this year later, but so, so what is the story of how, how you got involved? What was the, who approached you? Um, what was your thinking at the time and what was kind of the onboarding process taking over this position and kind of running the whole show? So what happened is with, uh, me involved in, uh, the ski industry and having the responsibility as a manager, uh, director of sales and marketing for the resort, um, I came across IF3 and I thought it was a really great place for me to feature the resort and um, speak to passionate skiers and snowboarders about the mountain, invite them to come to the mountain and film edits and things like that. And of course, my main goal at the time was to um, gain the attention of the amateurs, the, the, the kids, um, the uh, 15 to 21 year old that would uh, like to get into the industry, um, that didn't really know what to do. So there was a contest uh, that was called IF3 Video Quest. And we would put that on at our resort. And uh, there would be teams of uh, four, five, six, seven riders that would come on, on a, during the year. And they would make a great video quest edit of about three minutes. 
and they would have a chance to win some cash and prizes. And then, of course, the winner of the contest would go to IF3 the next year in Montreal and meet all the best skiers in the world and producers in the world. So one of the best um, uh, moments in, in all of this is when I got Union Production Kids, uh, which is a small amateur production uh, that won a couple of years in a row. And uh, when I saw that a couple of them made up made it uh, into the big ranks a couple of years later, and they're now filming for major uh, production companies and are part of that process. So through the process of the amateur film contest, they got through and made a career out of it. So it was a real uh, eye-opener. So how did I came to become the IF3 owner is through that process. Um, when I found out that the current owner at, at back in 2015, 2016, was looking at passing the flame to somebody else, passing the the, the, the festival to somebody else. Um, I lifted up my hand and we met. Um, we talked for for a few weeks and uh, I helped him put uh, put together the uh, the late last one that he did in 2016 and I took over from 2017 onwards. So uh, it was really a passing of the flame, passing of the passion to another generation, basically. Great. And um, and what was going through your mind at the time? Were you ready to make this career change? Were you nervous at all to take on these new responsibilities? I was very nervous because, uh, as you mentioned earlier in our interview, we're not we're quite different in age. And I saw all these young uh, kids, and um, you know, I would say kids, but uh, they were young adults, basically eighteen to twenty-five year olds was the main. Uh, main festival goers at the time and I, um, you know i wanted to make sure that that stayed and of course it did it's just i'm very young at heart um, a little more mature so i was able to keep the, the boat afloat and uh, make the if3 what what it always has been for the last few years and uh it's been uh, it's been a real fun uh venture right now and i really enjoy myself and so your first year in charge um what was that like did it run smooth were there any you know, difficulties that you had to overcome. What was the, what was that first year fully in charge? Like it was fun uh, because uh, it's, I have three is not a company um, that is, uh, that is very much uh, got borders and lines and it's wide open. So the team that got involved uh, is a bunch of volunteers, people that have the passion that came and surrounded them, the festival. So having that energy around me uh, just made it that much easier and fun. And there was people that were involved in the prior um, edition of the festival in the past. So they knew how to, to run things as well. So I was definitely not alone. Um, there was uh, David Sorco that was involved the first year with me passing on from um, the years before with Felix. Um, so there was uh, people like him involved. There was uh, a, a young woman from uh, from France. Her name is Camille Martin, who's still with me. And she had uh, uh, studied her marketing degree and had come as a student to help in 2015. So she had that experience in the bag and she was there in Montreal helping out. So, uh, And of course, we were introducing snowboarding for the first time. So we had some great uh, professional snowboarders involved as well, both in the judging side and in the uh, direction side of the, the festival. So it was it was very natural. It was easygoing. Um, no stress, really. It was uh, because it can't, like I said, it's skiing. It can't be, it's, it just can't be something of a headache. It's got to be fun. <laughs> it's got to be pleasant and fun. So, yeah, great. <laughs> 
And um, <clears throat> excuse me. So what does a normal year look like for you and your team? Say that you just, the, the festival circuit from the previous year is finished. Where are you starting for a whole new year of, of this process? It's been changing over the last few years. Um, I'd say now it's becoming, it's going to be um, more uh, of a full-time job for at least three of us, uh, myself included, uh, because we, we are seeing like uh, with the COVID, we'll get into this a little later, but uh, there is a change that we had to make to the festival, but was part of what we wanted to do. COVID just accelerated it. Um, but for instance, uh, we're, we were able to present um, IF3 sessions. Uh, some of the production, some of the people didn't get to see all the movies. I mean, we've got over 100 registered movies every year. So you, you can't possibly watch them all in four days unless you're really, really crazy and you want to sit you know, on, on every single one of those ed, uh, uh, film screenings that we have. And uh, some people do. I've seen some real fans sit and watch every single movie we put out, <laughs> but uh, it's tough. So if you're not going to be able to do that, you want to be able to watch them later on at home and catch up and maybe see who won the prizes, who were nominated, why, and so on. So what we managed to do now is uh, we're able to uh, capture uh, uh, those movies and put them out a little later in the year. And uh, that's what we've done. We've done five sessions uh, after the, the festival this year, where we presented four to six movies on a uh, nightly basis. And after that, we make them available uh, via the film guide. And of course, um, the directors and producers, they own their films, so they can release them to the public anytime they want. It's up to them. And sometimes they've released them right away, a few days before, a few days after the festival. Sometimes they wait a few weeks, a few months. So if people don't know, then we try to capture that, put them on our website and make sure they see um, the, produ the productions and the movies that were produced for IF3 2020 and that were part of the official selection. So it's a yearly basis because it starts off um, in uh, early January with us planning what's going to happen in October. And uh, then we have to, to look for partners. Yeah, there's, there's a big, big step for us. It's we have to look for support. Um, we don't make money. Uh, we're not a, a nonprofit, but we don't make money. I don't come out uh, personally with a paycheck. Uh, what I, what I did not mention at the beginning is um, I've been doing this now for four years. And I haven't actually received any pay for it. Uh, so I have a, a second job on the side to make money and put bread on the table and feed the family because uh, IF3 is, uh, is a big passionate thing, but I, I'm not able to, um, to make a job for myself with this. Uh, I do have some employees that are paid uh, on, a, on a yearly basis, very small salary. Um, they are for I would consider them more volunteers and employees, <laughs> and they are definitely doing this uh, out of passion. So, at this point, um, IF3 has been running sincerely on on the, on people's uh, willingness to go behind it and sponsor it and be part of a big uh, celebration on on a yearly basis. So, a big part of the job is to go find that support, and we start in January. And so you, you start in January and how, who's approaching the potential sponsors and, and are you distributing sort of like a marketing pamphlet saying, Hey, support us. And this is what you'll hopefully the benefits you'll hopefully receive. 
Yeah, we've got a we've got a pretty sound plan um, on a yearly basis, and we've been successful in and uh, you know getting some really good sponsorship uh, year after year because we're able to present a solid plan and uh, and deliver. So we've got a really good reputation from that perspective. Um, I'm a big part of that from my background in the marketing and sales. I'm able to to do that. Um, I do have a lot of help uh, from uh, Camille Martin, who's out in uh, in France, and she's looking at the international uh, side of things. Um, and then, of course, I have uh, some of the passionate uh, volunteers that are uh, wanting to do this. They'll be like uh, involved in the snowboarding side. They'll be like pro riders looking for sponsorship and helping me out on that side. Same thing on the ski side. And overall, we've we always have like four or five people that are actively looking for support. And, and it's been working fine. And um, so that's a big part of it because without that, we can't put out the addition. And if we don't have that, we are not able to promise everything to, that we want to promise to, to the producers and athletes. Okay. And so I'm, I was looking through the website. Let's see. Yeah. Um, I was, I had it earlier, sponsorship. Okay. So the, the presenting sponsors, um, how did you guys, how did you guys determine um, the prices, like kind of looking at it this from a business perspective. So just looking at the website right now, presenting sponsors, it goes for 25,000 a piece. So what was, who kind of set that number and what, and was there some sort of market research involved in determining, okay, this is, this is what this is valued at. Of course um, we've looked at uh, years past, you know, from 2007 onwards, we've built quite a bit of the following. Um, they're all passionate skiers and snowboarders. We didn't buy one person's uh, support. Obviously, uh, the likes or the people that are following us is because they they like what they see or they're part of the industry and they're going to be there uh, watching every year. Um, so that's a real sound, uh, 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 I guess, for 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 a, for a sponsor to know that he's a that he's talking directly to that passionate skier, passionate snowboarder or athlete or producer, it's something that's attractive. So we've been able to establish that. And the prices were based on the fact of how many people come to the festival festival physically and how many people we reach during the process of the registrations, the presentations of the, the movie nominations and the awards and so on. So through that, we were able to measure up, you know, what would be the value of the exposure and this is in Canadian dollars, of course. Um, that's what that's what we uh, in our market. That's definitely a fair value to pay to get that kind of uh, promotional uh, exposure. And so, are these companies like what when a company approaches you, especially some of these bigger ones? Um, what are they asking for in return? I know that you guys have some deliverables that you guarantee, but is there any companies that approach you and say, um, "We only want to be." Um, shown in this light, or we only want to be associated with a certain a certain image. If that if that makes sense, like are there do companies come to you with very specific requests, or are they just excited to be involved with with a very passionate group? There is very many reasons as to why you want to be part of such a such a process or such a, an event. Um, and so the first thing we have to do as a marketing uh, salesperson, uh, you have to listen. You have to listen to why the sponsor wants to be involved. And so uh, for the most part, we build uh, 
a sponsorship that is catering to women in the ski and snowboard industry? Do they want a, uh, more of an event that's uh, towards the urban and freestyle because that's they're catering to that? Do they want to go into the more the big mountain, the the bigger um, you know the, the the bigger movie kind of style that uh, people will put out? So we orient their their uh, investment towards what they want to get uh, exposure from and which and and to match their image as well. Uh, some those will want to reach as many people as they can because the demographic will fit. You know we're into a sports type uh, person that's healthy living that is outdoors. So if you're not in the McBrand and that's the type of people you're wanting to reach, well, we're it. I, I mean, you're going to talk to those people. Um, but it also has to fit because um, our industry um, is sponsored like crazy. So uh, every single fan, passionate uh, skier and uh, snowboarder, they know that. So the product has to be somewhat serious. It cannot just be anything. Um, if, if they want to actually have be taken seriously by the fans. And one of the things I learned from sponsoring the event myself at the time is that anybody getting involved with IF3 gets a level of respect by the fans because they understand that this sponsor got involved to make the festival exist again and to help the producers and the athletes get exposure and to help that keep going uh, along year after year. So there's a, an immense respect that goes to the sponsors that get involved year after year. Great. And um, so looking at it, sort of a different aspect of it, what's it what is the, well, see there's two, I, there's two directions we could go and we'll, we'll touch on the second one after. So what is the sourcing of the videos? Like what's that process? Who's going out there and saying, Okay, this is this is the pool of videos that we're judging this year. This is a very interesting process um, that we've managed to streamline year after year now. So uh, we announced the registration process uh, usually late April, early May, and uh, we just tell everybody you got to register by a certain such date. Um, and of course, the reason they registered a project is so that we understand how many projects we're looking at this year. Um, then they have to, they have a few weeks to profile and finish their project and they have to deliver um, a version that we can watch to do the official selection. And once the official selection process is done, then the judges will get the final, final version that they have to three months process from the registration beginning to the final uh, edit being given to the judges for them to watch. And uh, typically, uh, the production companies now, we've got a long list of uh, production companies that have been involved year after year that we approach every year and say, hey, it's time to register. Same with the athletes. Um, we have to nudge them. We have to remind them. But uh, typically, we get a pretty good response, and people are stoked to bring in their, their project to IF3 and and get the you know get the ball rolling for the upcoming festival in the fall, and um, and there's always new new productions that come in, new amateurs or new pros that are coming in. Uh, sometimes it's a mixed mixed match, but uh, there's always new new uh, faces that come into the industry. So we we uh, bank on our media partners to help us out. The media partners are pushing 
to the various other other registrations processed and saying, hey, it's we can we can get this going. Um, once the official selection is done, uh, typically uh, we were left with um, almost seventy projects to to judge, <laughs> which is huge. Yeah, and when does the um, judging actually take place? Once the official selection process is done, we uh, we have uh, we wait for the final edits to be uh, sent to us, and then the judges can begin their judging process. They have to watch every single edit, every single movie, and then of course uh, choose the nominees, and then of course choose the winners. Um, so that takes place typically uh, the tail end of September early October, uh, a few weeks prior to uh, the final IF3 festival settled, and they're still debating the winners. And, uh, and then of course, we announced the winners during IF3 on October. Great. And who is on the uh, who's on the judging committee? Is it is it? I'm assuming it's split up for skiers and snowboarders. Do you have a like a team for for each sport? Yeah, there's uh at this point, this up to this year, 2020, there was three ski judges and three snowboard judges. Um, they judged the ski side separately from the snowboard side, and then they judged together the open side, which is uh, ski and snowboard together. And they have to come together and bring uh, some suggestions as to what could be the movie of the year from the jury standpoint, which means that all ski judges and snowboard judges have to agree that this is the movie of the year, um, which is a jury's pick. Uh, so they, there's a team of six people that are from various um, parts of the industry, uh, and they are uh, they could change year over year. But uh, they are on our website. The judges are there for people to see who they are and what they do. And, and so who decides when a new category is added? Can anybody just propose, okay, I'm, I think that you know, this is a growing segment in skiing. We should add this as a category. Very, very good question. Um, I'm very lucky to have uh, Jeff uh, Schmuck as the director of the movie awards. He's been with us for over 10 years. Um, uh, at IF3 and uh, him and his team. So the judges, I, it's a separate process from me. I don't get involved in the judging. I don't get involved in the nominees or the winning aspect. Uh, they don't consult me for this because um, I really want this to be a professional process. This is what makes IF3 special. So they gather together on a yearly basis prior to um, setting out what type of awards will be handed out this year. And they make changes beforehand so that everybody that's in the competition understand what they're up against and what type of prizes can be won. Uh, we're going to be in a process in the spring uh, and summer right now to go look after some changes right now because every single two, three uh, year process, there's some changes. We see changes in how production companies are producing movies. So we have to make industry. So this is going to take place this summer. I'm involved in that process. I get, I get involved in the discussions, uh, give ideas and the rest of the team as well. We kind of chat about what we see, what, what we see coming and what we want changes. And one of the changes we'll make this year is we want to have a, a ski and a snowboard uh, women on, it, on the panel of judges uh, because uh, women are now super present in the, uh, in the industry. We've seen 
um, we've put together what we call I have three all girls uh, since the, about six years ago now. And, um, and this, this now has, has grown into a much bigger aspect. The women are really much involved now, both on the ski and snowboard side in the movies themselves. And uh, athletically speaking, they're equal to, to the men's side. So we are um, definitely happy to see that. It's super, uh, super exciting to see that. And so we'll definitely make sure that uh, there's a women on the ski judging side and a women are also involved on the snowboard judging side as well. Great. And switching gears, so what is the process for securing venues like? I'm sure that in some of these cities, it's able to go back and say, hey, same thing we did last year, but how do you choose where the premieres are held, where the parties are held, and also what cities you'll actually be holding the event in? This might be a good time now to get into uh, COVID versus non-COVID because it's a completely different process uh, Mm. now. It used to be one thing in one way, and now it's going to be a completely different situation. Mm-hmm. Um, started off last year, uh, this, this situation. So prior to COVID, um, how do we choose? Well, because it was taking place in Montreal, uh, Montreal has a really nice international field. People want to come and visit Quebec. Um, they, they understand, you know, the, the appeal of that. So what we were doing is we would pick really awesome places in Montreal for people to gather at and maybe have them visit various parts of the city and be part, it'd be part of the, the touristy adventure of IF3. You know, you'd be a place one night, another place another night. Uh, the final party would take place somewhere else. Everything would be through the, uh, the metro, um, you know, traveling through Montreal, uh, you know, by foot and exploring and, and just being part of the, the cinema atmosphere and things like that. So unfortunately, um, COVID changed all that. So um, we're, we're looking at making changes now. So COVID has messed that up for you? It, it did, but it, um, it's provided us uh, another opportunity. So last year, if you look at what we did last year, we call this an hybrid version of IF3. Um, so we were able to present awesome programming online for everybody to watch from home in a safe environment free. So they were able to watch Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, and, and watch the movies prime time live on our TV free. And of course we somehow pulled a rabbit out of our hat. And on Saturday, we were able to um, do two drive-in events, one in Greek Peak, New York, and one in Montreal in Belle-Neige. And uh, we were able to present on the big screen some of the movies that were not available for us to watch from home from our TV screen. And in the Belle-Neige drive-in, we ended up being 300 cars plus over a thousand people watching movies outside uh, on the big screen in our cars and beside our cars in a safe environment. Nobody mixed in everybody with, you know, masks and making sure that they stayed safe and didn't mingle too much with the others. And uh, we had a great night. It was a super high F3. Um, There was uh, only good comments on that. Um, It even snowed when we presented the, one of the movies that when we, when we started presenting the ski, ski movies, it snowed from the, and people there 
thought we were making it snow. They thought it was un, it was not real snow. <laughs> so it was a, it was a really awesome evening. Uh, that was a last minute decision. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And were you guys able to? Um, I I saw that there is a, a correspondent or somebody working on your team in Chile. So were you guys able to ever pull off an event there, or was that kind of planned for 2020 and that ended up having to get scrapped? Chile was the first IF3 to be done entirely online um, because Chile takes place in August, uh, July, August. And Santiago, Chile was under a strict confinement at the time. They couldn't gather at all. They couldn't do anything physically. So they managed to, uh, to do an online event and presented all the movies uh, on Friday nights and Saturday night from um, a live TV program and people were watching from home. That's the only way they could do it this year. Um, they were the first IF3 ever to be strictly online. <laughs> and uh, in Montreal, we, were, we managed to, to do a dual presence and have people gather in a secure environment. So we're anticipating that in the, near, in the next two years, this 2021 and 2022, uh, it'll be difficult for people to travel. Um, and to come safely to another country or to go from state to state or province to province and, you know, having to quarantine, not quarantine, being vaccinated, not vaccinated. Maybe there's new variants, there's new things coming at us. So what we want to do is we still want IF3 to exist. We want uh, producers to be able to do their projects in a safe environment at home and near home or even if they can travel great um and we definitely want if3 to exist year after year from this point on but it'll be a hybrid version from this point on meaning that you'll be able to watch from home if you cannot travel or you don't stay you don't feel safe to travel and if you are able to travel and you want to join us we'll definitely be planning some physical events and um, what we plan to do is, is uh, uh, instead of having just one area, uh, for instance, we used to all gather in Montreal, uh, we will most likely have a eastern and western hotspot. So in, in Montreal and in Whistler Blackcomb. So you think hybrid is here to stay permanently regardless, regardless of COVID? Yes, that is correct. I, I don't think at this point we're going to go back to what we knew as normal prior to COVID. Mm -hmm. um, we are international, so I can't, I don't know if people from Switzerland can travel back here or if I can go to Switzerland or if people can France or people from Finland or Sweden or even from USA can even come across. I don't know. I don't know which, which are the rules, um, how long it's going to take before they, when they cross the border, they can mix with other people, um, what type of vaccine uh, they will be able to get or not. Um, so there's too many things we don't know. So we don't want to create a problem and, and focus on uh, what we did in the past. We want to focus on the reality of now. And we definitely want to be able to still communicate and still have the community of skiers and snowboarders gather on a yearly basis for one big weekend. And we think we can do this in an hybrid version. So if you in Connecticut want to watch, you're going to be able to watch on Eastern time, you know, from October 20th to 23rd. 
And if you're able to travel, you're definitely welcome to come and join us to the physical events we'll be able to create. And uh, we'll try to create some hotspots near people. So um, if you're in the Eastern States or Canada, then we'll create a couple of hotspots there. If you're in the Western States in uh, Canada, we'll create some hotspots there. And there'll still be presentations of movies in your time zone as well. What we didn't do this past one, we everything was Eastern time. So we're going to create a deferred uh, event. So it's going to be Eastern time and then back on for the Pacific time as well, making sure that everybody gets to watch prime time. Great. And so say looking, you know, five plus years in the future, when hopefully this is all just a distant memory, do you guys, would you guys like to re-expand internationally and try to add more, more stops if possible? We, yeah, actually, um, that being said, we're still going to be international. Um, Chile is still going to be there. Uh, we have, uh, we still, we want to talk to people in uh, Eastern States and Western States to see if there's an interest in um, the same weekend, you know, creating that hotspot. So you could create a hotspot in Connecticut if you want, and we just need to talk and see how we want to make it happen. But uh, um, an IF3 weekend is, uh, you know, you're trying to create um an area like you were mentioning, book a couple of venues, watch some films locally, have a, a few gatherings. Maybe some of the local athletes and producers can gather where you are because they can't travel internationally. But still, from the screens, we'll be able to rally up as we're doing now and uh, see people from the various places around the world at the same time. So what we know is uh, in Europe right now, there's a good chance there'll be an IF3 in France. There'll be an IF3 in Switzerland. Uh, there's an IF3 in uh, Chile. And we have in Canada, we have two hotspots figured out right now. And we got to talk to people in the States to see what uh, what we can do there. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, I'm, I'm very happy to see that it's it's still, you know, a global a global event, basically. Yes. Yeah. Um, so let's see, who are you looking at kind of the business side again? Who who do you guys see as your main competitors um, in your in your business? Well, um. It's a very tough question. Um, it, it, the industry is so small. Mm -hmm. It's large, it's international, but it's so small. Um, I'd much rather see the other, um, if there is other festival that exists and they can actually uh, present another opportunities for the, the producers to show their movies and the athletes to gather and show their movies and show their, their great lifetime work if there is such a such a thing then so be it i mean we're what makes us different from any other festival or movie festival is the awards the if3 movie awards that's a real thoughtful process we gather like i said over 100 uh edits and movies that are registered on a yearly basis and that's what sets us apart from any other uh festival uh in in the world um, there is others, they're small, um, they're local, and they should exist because there needs to be uh, as many venues and, and places for people to see the movies as they can. So um, if we can help and produce more IF3s in, a, in everywhere around the world, we'd love to. Um, you know, the brand is, is, is for, a, it's exactly that. We want to be international. We want people to, to see as many uh, of the movies as possible. But um, to answer your question, is there any competition? I can't, I can't name any uh, at this point. Um, 
you know, sometimes competition's good for businesses because they see, okay, this uh, our, you know, our competition is innovating in this way. Do you do you think it's ever hard to, um, to innovate and kind of see other other opportunities because there's nobody else really doing what you're doing? Um, there's a mix, you know, what we do, um, uh, when you speak competition, uh, when you speak of a competition, especially in the business world, you're thinking about somebody that's trying to do the same thing you are better or calling themselves number one, number two, number three. We're not about that because we're not about, uh, making money on the back of the producers and athletes, right? This is not at all what we are about. So, um, we much rather see everybody come towards IF3 and make this the biggest we can make it so that the as many producers and athletes can get as many uh, opportunities after this as possible. So uh, when you're looking at competition, like you said, to measure up against another, I don't think there's too many uh, festival out there that are geared towards truly looking at making the producers their number one client, making the athletes their number one client, why is the producers and athletes bringing the movies to IF3 every year? Why are they registering their product, their project with us? It's because they believe in what we're doing with the IF3 Movie Awards, and they trust us. We have never, never done anything with the movies that they don't want us to do. Um, it's a, it's like a jewel when you hand out your your lifetime's work. If somebody wants to mess around with it, um, you know, there's there's a you're done. You know, it's a. Uh, so the, the matchsticks productions, the level ones, um, the uh, in, in the Europe side as well. There's there's been like really high end production companies that have trusted us with their with their lifetime project, and uh, we want to keep it that way. So it's from our perspective, I don't see a competition aspect unless somebody wanted to do it exactly the same thing we wanted to we don't we want to do and. Um, all the power to them if they want to start something that's exactly like that. I don't know. I don't know. It's been uh, unique, very unique. So yeah, it's like you. It's more like a celebration rather than a business. You know, totally. usually a lot of the the employees are volunteers essentially. So it's just for the love of of the sport rather than trying to make any money off it. Exactly. When you're looking at the website right now, um, you see the sponsors that are, that are there. They helped us produce the TV uh, programs that we produced. They helped us book the venues. They helped us, you know, put the website together, put all the links together. And that's basically it. I mean, nobody pocketed any money and walked away with this. So it's, um, and when, when I'm looking at this, it makes me proud because it's, that's what it's about. And uh, we really want to make sure that, uh, you know, the producers, the athletes that work their butts off making these movies on a yearly basis, get as much exposure as possible um, in a, in a friendly conversation with Cody Townsend, who's one of our hosts on, on the TV uh, program, he mentioned, you know, that I have three, why, why it exists. And back in 2014, he was in Montreal and he receives the prize during the movie awards. And he said that that helped him book more um, opportunities for himself as a skier in movies. And it helped him make money as a professional skier. Well, if that's what we can do, that is perfect. That's exactly what we want to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Another question I've, and I've talked about this with some other people. Um, so the rise in Instagram and people posting their videos on Instagram has kind of, it's led to a decrease in, in movies and film parts. I, f I personally think that, that movies and, and, and parts are kind of on the rise again, 
but do you think that the that Instagram has hurt the festival at all? No, um, it's it's still a very it's still a very um, important undertaking for the producers and the video uh, filmmakers, the the athletes to make something that's much more much longer than thirty second, a minute or two minute. Um, it you cannot fit it all in that time span. Um, so we haven't. We thought we might see a change. You know, we might see a decline in projects being registered or some kind of a switch into how things are. I think Instagram is super important for those athletes that are in the game, uh, for their sponsors, for them to be seen, to gather up a, a following. Um, a lot of them compete like in the X Games and the various uh, big, uh, big sports events. Uh, they need to continue to communicate and show what they do with those videos. So, um, but in the end, a good ski movie or a good snowboard movie, whether it's, you know, seven, eight minutes to 30 minutes, 45 minutes long, it still has a, its merits and um, it's still being watched and it's still being waited upon when we get into the fall period and we're getting antsy to get on our skis. So it's, and I, I, I've seen like uh, new companies come in and I've seen companies continue like uh, TGR was on their 25th year um that's crazy app saint films on the snowboard side uh, same you know they're in the 20 20 some odd years of filmmaking and every year they make like a 45 minute to an hour edit it's uh it's amazing and i think there's still it's going to be there for a long time there's if anything it may go back to this in the near future because people will be tired of just watching small stuff all the time like it's it's just you're getting bombarded mm-hmm I agree. I, I would tend to agree with that. I think that there's kind of a people are being drawn back to more traditional forms of media. Like you see, you see people getting really excited about vinyl again. I think that people are gonna they they've tested the waters with, you know, these short little clips. And I think that people are becoming more drawn back to long, long form media. And, you know, projects that really require a lot of effort to produce. That's it. It's um, it's easy to pull out your iPhone and capture the moment, and then send it off to the Instagram. It's another thing to really put some thoughts into what you just saw, and then really edit it uh, and bring in the colors, put some sound to it, um, you know, put that all together and spend the hours and the hours that you you need to edit this and put really something masterful in front of people. So year after year, we get completely um, you know, it's, it's awesome to see the amount of work that goes into this. And if people can just go back year after year and see what's been done since, you know, the early two thousands, um, on the ski side, you know, other than it's funny because people, the only production company that we'd never seen register an IF3 is Warren Miller. <laughs> no surprise there. Yeah. <laughs> but we invited them every year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We invited oh. them every year. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's so funny. And so is, has there been any, any film that when you watched it, you're just absolutely blown away. I don't, has any, have any of them stood out and been like, wow, th this, this person, this team, this company really blew it out of the water. And I'm like, I didn't expect something this amazing. 
yeah, so I've been amazed to, in many many ways since I've discovered IF3, um, like I was mentioning to you, un unfortunately, I wasn't there when it first started because I know that even 2007, 2008, when it started, there was some awesome movies that were being put out at the time. And it was the time where people were putting out like 45 minute, one hour movie out year after year. So um, I started to, I started to discover uh, what was out there probably in 2012 and from this point onwards. So my reference is from that point onwards. Um, one, the one that actually comes to mind that it really struck me is uh, Valhalla, uh, which is a, a movie that uh, was everything that I mentioned to you up front, uh, you know, big mountain out there. Uh, and the, the, par the part of two minute part of skiers and uh, snowboarders skiing naked <laughs> is uh, phenomenal. Uh, and it, it goes out uh, from that perspective, just the feeling of being a kid with absolutely uh, the love of snow, that was what the movie put out. So for me, that's my favorite um, in the past few years. Uh, but I've there's some really, really awesome uh, movies that came out. And one the ones that come to mind is uh, the J.P. O'Claire, uh, All I Can, is one that also uh, really struck me uh, back in the day. Um, the skier himself is was an, an amazing skier. Uh, of course, uh, McConkey. I mean, he put out some great, great, uh, great movies. Um, so there's, you know, that from that's my top three. I would say watching those, I could watch those over and over again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Those are those are great. Those are great films. Yeah. Um. So I know that, you, you know, I have three. It's got this huge party aspect to it, but do you have a lot of kids showing up? Because I know that I got super into free skiing when I was like in eighth grade and I look at IF3, I'm like, oh my God, the people go in there are crazy. Do you still have like, um, like not really kids, but like high schoolers and late, and late teenagers showing up to these shows, even though they can't really partake in the, all the after parties. So when I first, uh, uh, discovered IF3 in the 2012, 13, 14, 15. I was obviously a sponsor and going in full out into the festival itself and uh, watching the movies, being part of the parties and stuff. And I would definitely see the kids trying to sneak in. Um, the unfortunate part was that from my perspective, I thought they should be included more than not included because that's who you want interested in there. So um of course, they cannot go into bars, they cannot go into the drinking thing, and they cannot go to the party thing. So um, one of the major change we made is that, you know, we they can go in all, every single venue, watch movies. And if, if other people are having a beer, watching the movie beside them is fine. When it comes to the 10 p.m. onwards, then there's like bouncers making sure that they're not getting in. But at the very least, they get to go watch the movies and sit with the producers and athletes and be part of it. At, you know, uh, see the awards because even the awards were blocked off at the time. Now the awards, you can go in with the kids. You can sit down and watch um, whatever you're 15, 16, 17. You're not barred from the awards physically. And of course, uh, with the uh, hybrid version now, you can watch from home as well. But yeah. uh, IF3 needs to be accessible to the 14-year-old, the 15-year-old, the 16-year-old. Um, what's not accessible is what society deems not to be. And that is when you're party mode you're into a bar 
that's it. That's over. You're, you're out. You can't go in. But from a film and from a sports aspect, they need to be involved. They need to be included. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, now, now looking at the party side of it. So who's the one planning these, these crazy after parties? Are you involved in that process at all? <laughs> yes, I'm still involved. Um, I still enjoy them. Uh, and of course it's, uh, it's part of IF3. We can't, we can't step away. I mean, once we're done watching this, the movies and getting all stoked, we definitely want to get together and enjoy our night and watch, and listen to great music. So that's definitely going to be part of IF3s in the future as soon as, as, soon as COVID allows us. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And so what, what's the, uh, the meeting process for that? Like, do you guys all sit around a table and say, okay, like I saw one year, you're like, all right, let's do a, like a redneck themed night like what is the what's the actual meeting like for those for those parties those are definitely uh you know like a big brainstorm table uh we bring everybody in the the judges the the director of ski snowboard everybody's together and there is no idea that is not looked at so we look at that we look at the teams we look at the bands we look at the budget of course um and as i mentioned if the sponsor is one is willing to sponsor a party then obviously the sponsors involved as well in picking the the, the theme and making sure it matches um so yeah it's it's a big process but yeah everybody's involved there's no it's not something that's uh in the way and everybody has to feel that there's the right right uh atmosphere to create um typically we get away with two big nights we try to create three but people get tired after three yeah <laughs> we're able to get away with two big nights yeah and I, I was watching some um, some videos from previous years, like when Doug Bishop was doing his um, his <laughs> video series, and those and the, it looks crazy. I mean, he's wasted throughout the entire video. Have you had any issues where you'll have the event one night and it was just two nuts, or somebody did something and and just spoiled it for the second night, and the venue was like, "No way, you're coming back." Believe it or not, it hasn't happened, and I have not heard that we've been barred from any place because we've always make we always make it right we always make it right with the venue so we are not we're not barred from any place uh we we always clean up clean up nicely and it's it's not about breaking anything it's about having fun and being t together as a community so yeah there's pretty wild stuff that came out but uh if there was it's because the venue allowed it and it was okay it was part of it so yeah montreal montreal has got some pretty wild venues. So we're able to do a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And so I have one viewer question and this kind of uh, ties into it. I didn't, I didn't send out the whole, uh, a request for everybody. So I actually had, I reached out um, to one person in particular. So David Zorko says he wants me to ask you about the boat party. <laughs> What's the story behind that? Yeah, that was pretty crazy. That was 2017. Um, and Back in the day, we had to find some hospitality for both the skiers, producers, snowboarders coming from all around the world, and of course, the staff. And as I mentioned to you, on any given big IF3, we could be 40 volunteers. So that's a lot of people working the venue. Um, so in 2017, it was a huge venue called Anchor, Anger 16 like the song, Megadeth song. And it was a huge empty anger. And uh, there was not a lot of places we could get uh, the staff into. So I looked up on Airbnb to book something and uh, I found this boat. And uh, there was 20 rooms on the boat. So that's what we booked. 
Oh my god! <laughs> and so the part, the 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 part on the Anger Sixteen was, of course, the, there was great uh, bands playing and everything else. So uh, the staff, uh, the main staff, and volunteers would get back to the boat, and there was a a VIP lounge uh, on the boat for the athletes and producers as well to come and just chill and enjoy a, a drink and uh, be part of just kind of a, a a way place, you know, from the big venue, which is just walking distance. So, I mean, it was, it was one of those uh, epic uh, IF, IF3 uh, spot and uh, it will go down in the memory. Um, yeah. Zorko definitely did a few of his own, uh, <laughs> of, of his own marks on the boat. I've seen even uh, somebody jump off and do a, uh, couple of uh, flips uh, off the top into the St. Lawrence River. So what, type, so what type of boat was this? Was this like a, a river boat or was this just like a huge, what, what type it's, of boat? Um, uh, it transformed, I think it was, uh, it was a transport boat, like car transport boat that was transformed into uh, an actual boat that you can rent and stay on. It's on the water and there's like I said, there's uh, rooms on the bottom, and there's like a living room on the on the top, and then at the very top you have access to to being outside, and there's a jacuzzi and uh, all that kind of stuff. So it was uh, a big find because the staff was totally spoiled, and uh, of course the, the producers and uh, VIPs were enjoying that. So it was a, yeah, it was a good moment. It was a really strong moment of 2017. <laughs> yeah, that that's badass. That yeah. is badass. <laughs> Just kind of rounding everything out and circling back like what would your advice be for kids coming out of high school and college about where to start their career and kind of how to how to get involved in sports whatever whatever sport that may be just something they're passionate about it's a a very good question and as i was just talking to you um about my white page and it's a, a true picture um I do have a white page in front of me. I don't know what I'm going to do next. I never did. I never did when I was 14, 15. I went all over the map. And But everything I did, I learned. And everything I learned brought me somewhere else. And so completing your work, completing your high school, completing what you're working on now is important because you're going to be able to use it for the next thing you're going to do. And one of the things that I was able to uh, find out in my late thirties is when I made a major career move and I changed because I was not happy at my job. I had a regular job. Uh, when I changed and I did what I wanted from that point on, I was happy and being happy brings a lot of passion to your work and money is no longer an important thing. It's about what you do and getting up in the morning. Um, of course, everybody needs some cash and it's cliche to say you don't need some money to be able to live, breed and, bring your your grocery home and so on but first and foremost if you're able to just do the, what is in your heart and focus on that that actually brings you places you have no idea and it brought me to if3 and i'm very happy to contribute to that uh, community and it's uh, and i would have never been able to tell anybody this when i was 14 or 15 i didn't even know that there's there was, was going to be a possibility so that's my advice is to do follow your heart um, and to complete everything because everything you do brings you somewhere else. If you do it with passion and with your heart, it will bring you to the right spot. So that's all the questions I have. Is there anything before we go that you'd like to give a shout out to any, you know, like where can people follow you and kind of just see what, see what you're up to. Um, there's a, there's a couple of things I want to say. 
2021, we're definitely on board. We're doing something. Uh, so they got to keep listening to uh, listening and watching and following us to find out what's going to happen. Um, obviously, we're looking for productions, uh, companies and athletes to register their projects, whether they're amateurs or pros. Um, everybody's welcome to send out their edits. There's going to be links put out uh, most likely uh, early May. And uh, we are, if, the, if people have not heard of IF3 and they're just hearing about it now, they go to the website, if3festival.com. There's a guide there. All the movies from 2020 are on there, the ski, the snowboard, the open, uh, with links going to the production so you can watch them for free. Um, if you don't see a link on one of the movies we're looking for, it, we'll eventually put it there. That's where it will be. I'm currently working on putting up the 2019 movies in that same uh, guide so that people can actually watch some of the older movies that are that were put out and um, you know we're looking at what the government's going to do what vaccines are like what everything's going to happen um, we're really if3 is like that we're timed perfectly so there's going to be a lot of action going on from the various government in the next few months and we land in october and so everybody starts school in September. Governments have a lot of pressure to make things normal by September. So if things are semi-normal by September, then IF3 should become the place to be <laughs> as per usual. So yeah, keep your eyes and ears open. Um, follow us on our website, uh, Instagram, uh, Facebook, all the major places, that's where we're at. And uh, you'll not see me too much because it's all about the passionate uh, production companies, the athletes and the staff, the volunteers that put behind the, the scenes. Um, that's why we exist. We want to continue to exist. So keep, uh, keep giving us the love. Thank you for coming on today. And this was, it was super informative and it was great talking to you. It's uh, same here. <laughs> yeah. Same here. <laughs> Right, that was Luke Skypowder. You can find updates about IF3 on Instagram at if3festival or if3festival.com. Make sure to subscribe and rate the show if you enjoyed it. That's all we have for this week, so we'll see you next time.